0: Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Welcome to church. Uh, We're in a a new series that a couple of weeks ago Pastor Dave started off called Gifted uh, and Graced. And Pastor Dave, he he started off this talk, that's our nice graphic, do you like that? We didn't have that ready for for Dave, so apologies Dave, but there we go, that's our beautiful uh, graphic. And he started off with the the question I thought was a brilliant question, what is in your hand and and what's in your heart, right? And and really across this series, we want to look at that question, what are the desires that God has put in your heart and what are the actions that, that you can take around them? I want to be clear as we talk about this, we're not just talking about, you know, kind of what are the things that you can do to expand your own lot in life? How can you get more comfortable or or amass more influence, right? if, If the whole point of our faith was just to make ourselves more comfortable, we've kind of missed the point. And I'm not saying that you need to be always uncomfortable uh, but I am saying that our faith is about something more than our own personal comfort and experience, but we're here called to transform the world for others. And so I want to encourage you, if you're like, man, what, what is in my heart? What's in my hand? In my heart is I want to own a bigger house, and, and in my hand is I can work more hours. Those are not necessarily bad things, but I want to say maybe God has a bigger dream, that maybe there's some transformation, something of the kingdom of heaven that, that you can bring to earth in and through that because we want to let you know that we believe you are gifted and graced. Yeah, that the and there is important, that we don't just have talents and no purpose, but we also don't just have purpose and no talents, but that each and every one of us have gifts and grace to do what God has called us to do and to be the people that God has called us to be. Can we get agreement on that? It's good. If you don't agree with it yet, you'll agree with it in six months' time when we finish this series. It's not true. We won't go that long, right? I get too excited about other passages in the Bible. Uh, Speaking of which, if you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, to Isaiah chapter 55. We're going to read verses 8 to 13 in the New Living Translation. It says this, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Where once there were thorns, cypress trees will grow. Where nettles grew, myrtles will sprout up. These events will bring great honor to the Lord's name and they will be an everlasting sign of his power and his love. One more time, why don't you bow your heads with me and, uh, and let's pray. God, we thank you as we come together today that, that you are in our midst, God. God, that, that as we came together, you came in here with us, God, that, that you walk with us every moment of our, our days. But as we gather together corporately, you're present in a way that, that, that is special. God, I pray as, as we are here together, be it in the room, online, or, or for those who are going to catch up during the week who are maybe sleeping through some COVID at the moment, that, that as, as we join together as your church in this season, that you are speaking. God, and I pray that as you are speaking, we, we don't doubt whether you are speaking, but would you give us ears to hear what you're saying? Would you give us eyes to see what you are doing? God, thank you that you are moving in this season, that you are faithful, that you are doing something. Help us to be a part of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Quick question. Uh, I'm going to play with, has anyone noticed we've got Ben, how amazing was Ben on the guitar, by the way, this morning? Yeah, he was like singing and doing this multi-talented. Yeah, that's not an adequate clap for what Ben did. Can you give him a thank you? He's got his pedal board here and it's everything in me to not just step all over it. But I won't, I won't. That's not what I'm going to do. Uh, that was not in my notes. That's keep a notes, John. O, or else it goes incredibly off track uh who here quick show of hands remembers report cards yeah some of the teachers are like i wish i could forget report cards i have to write them every how often do you write report cards term yeah all of our all of our teachers are currently serving in kids ministry we appreciate you, teachers uh but but uh, who remembers uh report cards Uh, it's an interesting piece of paper yeah and especially i think the most interesting bit is the um the bit at the end the kind of teacher's comments. Does anyone remember getting those teachers' comments growing up? Uh, f- for me, in primary school in particular, but I think that's because then they stopped giving, I don't remember, teachers' comments in, in high school. That would be, in teachers' comments in high school, they were like, probably just do more work. But um, that one of the recurring statements for me in, in primary school was, Jonathan could focus more. Sometimes his head is in the, the clouds. Right? Which, of course, if you know me, you're like, no, surely not. You seem like a hyper focused individual at all times. But, uh, you know, having your heads in the cloud was a bad thing in the classroom when you're meant to be learning, right? When you're meant to be doing very interesting and important things like learning math. Uh, and, and maybe if you were like me, you were staring out the window imagining little like men running along on the horizon. Did anyone else ever do that? Just like, you're like, yeah, there's little battles going on in your mind or making up some sort of story or, or, or maybe you're wondering, man, I wonder what's going to happen in Dragon Ball Z this afternoon. Anyone have that kind of, uh, you know, your life was set by getting home to watch Dragon Ball Z. And, and I remember being a bit of a, a, a daydreamer and I learned that spending too much time in my head and my imagination was a, was a bad thing, that I needed to pay attention. I say all that to say, I want to talk today about our imaginations, because I think that having an imagination is a good thing, that God has given us all an imagination. In fact, if you're taking notes today, uh, my talk is simply titled, Our Gifted and Graced Imagination. And there might be some of you here today, and and you hear me say that, and, and you think, you know, you don't really see yourself as creative, Yes, other people have got imaginations, you know, undisciplined people like yourself, Jono, are staring out the window during maths class and seeing little men run across the horizon, but I'm learning quadratic equations in primary school because just I was, that, I was that extra for experts, right? Like I was putting in the work. You might say, you know, it's fine for you, you, you creative types, but I don't really have an imagination. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think that imagination just means the tendency to day, daydream about dragons, I think instead we could, we could define creativity as, as finding answers in, in hidden places. Yeah. And, and maybe today you don't see yourself as creative, but I want to say that you are creative. Maybe you're creative in, in solving problems at work or, or in the home and in different ways of looking at things, of making things work, of, of resolving things. See, I want to say that whether you agree with me or not, we all have an imagination. I'm sure of it. Yeah. That's a big call to make. John. You know, how do you know? Well, I know that we all have an imagination because we all worry. Right? And just think about it for a moment. How, how do we worry? We worry by using our imagination. We dream up, we think up scenarios that haven't happened yet, and we worry about them. We think, man, what if this happens? Maybe you're not like, I don't imagine spacemen, you know, dancing around the room, but, but I invent what happens if this happens? What if this goes wrong in this way? We all use our imagination. In fact, I would suggest that anticipation and anxiety are two sides of the same coin. And so maybe you don't think that you have an imagination, that you're imaginative, but you realize, actually, I'm pretty good at worrying. So in some way, shape, or form, my imagination is at at work. You know, I want to acknowledge, I think we're living in pretty anxious times. It feels like there's a lot to worry about out there. I'd say, in fact, that people's imaginations are working overtime, that we all have strong imaginations. That in fact, maybe our imaginations are are holding us captive. Maybe we're living in possible worst case scenarios captured by fear. And so today I want to suggest, if our imaginations are gifts from God, which I believe that they are, then I don't think that he would have given them to us just for, for us to cripple ourselves with, with fear, just for us to tell ourselves stories of, of chaos and worry with them. Is there a, a greater way to use our imagination? Is there a way to use the imagination we are gifted with by the grace of God? You know, God says in Isaiah chapter 55 verse eight, "'My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts,' says the Lord, "'and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine.'" It's going to kind of seem like, like bad news, doesn't it? Like, oh man, poor me. God's really good at thinking and now I'm really bad at thinking and God's thoughts are way better than my thoughts and I already know my thoughts are pretty dumb and now I just feel worse about myself. Right, but, but what if this was a hopeful statement? What if this wasn't like God, which would be out of character for God, but go with me on the analogy being like, ah, you guys suck. You know, like your thoughts, your thoughts are so small, my thoughts are so big. That was my Donald Trump impression. Thank you very much. We'll get, we'll get some writing about that after Right? What happens if he wasn't like, oh, come on, you, know, you think so small and I think so big. But what if instead he's saying, I see how your imagination is running away on you. I, I see how your imagination, how your thoughts are spinning out of control. That's not what I made them for. That's not working in the way that I made it. What if there is a God-inspired way to imagine, a way to use our imagination we have been gifted with by God's grace? I've got three ideas today, three ideas that I think can help us to use our imagination in God-inspired ways. If you're taking notes uh, my first point this morning is, is we can change our level. As I said, it's, it's easy for our imagination to kind of spin out of control in, in, in unhelpful ways. And I think one of the, the ways that Scripture sums up this way of thinking best is, is found in Paul's letter to, to Rome. In Romans chapter one, verse 21, the NLT translation, it says this, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. I don't know if you've ever felt dark and confused. I, I, I won't ask for a, for a show of hands, but, but I know I have. I, I know that I've felt in, in ways when I've had a dark and confused mind, I, I look at things and, and I only see the bad. I look at situations and scenarios and there's, there's no way that I can get out of it. There's nothing I can do to, to get past it. This is where I am for the rest of my life. It's, it's game over. I had my chance and, and I blew it. And as a result, I can find that I, I end up in this place of feeling utterly helpless. From a biological perspective, what's happening when we think this way, when our minds become dark and confused, is we end up only engaging a part of our brain called the amygdala. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say amygdala, because it's got a g in it, which is a fun word to say. Online, why don't you say amygdala? The, the amygdala is the part of our brain uh, that, that feels emotions. It's, it's the part of our brain our, our emotions kind of originate from. And so when we're thinking with only our amygdala, we're ruled by how we feel at that moment. Yeah, and, and so what happens is what we're not doing is we're not engaging a different part of our brain called the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is the, the part of our brain in which we plan and we reason and we think complex thoughts. The, the prefrontal cortex is one of the things that our brains have that, that animal brains don't. We can plan and reason and imagine and, and animals can't, right? I'm not so sure. When I watch my cat, I'm pretty sure he's thinking complex thoughts out the window. He's not. He's just waiting for some more food, right? That's all that's happening. He's in like a standby status mode until something happens. (laughs) Especially cats, right? Anyway, uh, but but when we're stuck in, in kind of this the solely emotional response, when we're stuck in only our our amygdala, when our minds are dark and confused, we're not using all of what God has given us. We're not using all of the minds that we have. We're not engaging our imagination in helpful ways. See, I think we could say it this way. We need to elevate the way that we think. And in fact, God says in Isaiah, not only does he think differently than we do, but if we continue in, in the next verse in verse nine, he says, just as the heavens are higher than the earth, So my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, Scripture is telling us here that God sees things in a different way than than we do. Maybe in the same way, to, to, to use an analogy, that we see things, then we think differently than maybe like a mouse or a cat might. God thinks differently. God sees things differently than we do, which makes sense if he's God. Yeah, that God would not be constrained into a mind that works exactly like our mind. But it doesn't stop simply at God big, we small. It's not simply we're little and God is big. But but as Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 2, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you, Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. See, I think so often in life, we need to stop asking God what we should do and perhaps instead start asking God how we can think. What if in the face of anxiety or worry, we ask God, God, how do you see this? How do you see this situation? How do you see what's happening to me? Rather than, God, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna get through this? Rather than just simply explaining to God where we are and there's room and space and time for all of that, but going through those and ending at a place to say, God, I can't see a way through this. This seems challenging and upsetting to me. Is there a different way that you see it? Is there a way in which I can partner with you to see this from your perspective. Could it be that a God-inspired, God-graced imagination could see hope where others only see despair? Could it be that a God-inspired, God-graced imagination could see possibility where others can't, could see worth where others don't? Not that we judge ourselves for worrying, right? That doesn't really help. If all we do is think about our worries and how bad we feel about worrying, we'll just continue worrying forever, but if instead, if we notice it, if we acknowledge it, okay, I'm feeling worried about that. That's, that's where I'm at. That's one way of seeing the situation. But then ask, is there a different perspective? Maybe one that's not so in the weeds, maybe one a little bit higher. Because I don't know about you, but I found that when it comes to perspective, sometimes height makes all the difference, doesn't it? Like Often when I'm, when I'm lost in a city, the most helpful thing that I find to do, it used to be in Wellington where I didn't know where I was, I'd just walk up a hill. But we've got less of those here in the beautiful city of Christchurch. And so I've had to, to innovate a little bit. I've had to use my imagination and get creative. And so one of the things that I like to do is I'll just bring up Google Maps in Satellite View on my phone. And I'll find where I am. And and then I'll just zoom out a little bit and I'll realize, hey, that building in front of me that seems to be the only thing that I can see that I can't figure out any way around it is actually a side street just a few streets over. That actually, I I think that I'm completely lost and there's no way that I'm going to find my way where I'm meant to go. But if if I move this way and go around this way, that actually what seems immovable, what seems impossible is possible from a different perspective. I just had to get a little bit of height on the situation. Down where I am in my moment, it seems like I can't get past this, but if I can get a little bit of elevation to my perspective, I realize there are some other ways to look at things. So number one, if you're taking notes, we can change our level. But, but if we can, surely the question is, is then, why do we need to? Like, Why do we need to change a level? What's gone wrong that causes our imagination to, to so often be more harm than, than help, more worries than, than dreams? I would suggest what's happened is, is we're stuck in destructive cycles. But I would say that the good news is, point number two, if you're, if you're taking notes, destructive cycles can be stopped. See, Isaiah here is writing to the Israelite people and he's, he's telling them that God has plans for them, plans at a different level than the ones that they're thinking at because the people of Israel, they're not in a good place when they're receiving this letter in Judah or Isaiah. Isaiah is, is written to a people whose nation has been destroyed and who are living in exile as subjugated people in Babylon. Right? The, the book of Isaiah says that they're living in exile and the nation has been destroyed because Israel was stuck in these destructive cycles. And, and so Isaiah starts, the, the book of Isaiah, the first three chapters really, by telling the history of the nation in this poetry of, of kings rising and falling, of Israel being a strong tree that's been cut down, but from the stump of this tree, a shoot will come, a new David, and it's all this kind of beautiful Hebrew poetic imagery speaking of the need for a different type of king, for a real savior. See, see I would suggest that the biblical narrative is essentially God, a story of God rescuing us from our... Our destructive cycles. I, I, I think we see this kind of best distilled down in an easily accessible form in the book of, of Judges. The book of Judges begins with the death of Joshua, Joshua who took over leading the people of Israel from Moses, who's leading them into the promised land, right? We talked about that last week, that crossing over the River Jordan, stepping into, into what God has for us. And so Joshua has died in the middle of kind of establishing themselves in, the, in this land that they're, they're called to. And, and, and so the book's name comes from the type of leaders that Israel had in this period. This is before they had their own kings. And before they had their own kings, the, the people were governed by, by judges, not like in a court, courtroom. Don't think kind of like wig and, and gavel, but instead they're regional, political, and military leaders, more like tribal chieftains. And so long story short, Israel moves into the promised land and and God says, you need to drive out the people in the promised land. You need to drive out the Canaanites because otherwise what's gonna happen is you'll become just like them. If you step into where they are and they're established, you'll adopt their way of doing things rather than live the way that I'm calling you to live. I don't know what's so wrong with that. The the reason that, that God says this needs to not happen is because the Canaanites are basically the quintessential bad guys in the Bible." right, they're they're corrupt and they're evil, all of which is typified by their worship of evil gods who demand child sacrifice, right, And, and God says, I'm not a god like those gods, those are little g gods, they're false gods, I am the god, I'm Yahweh, I'm your god, and where they demand of you child sacrifice because you can never know if you please those gods because there's no pleasing a false god, I am the god who gives a ram in place of a child, I am a God who says we do not do things this way. I am not a God that you please by doing evil. God says, I provide the sacrifice, I come to you. I'm here to bring good to you and through you all nations. So this is the moment that that we see at the start of Judges. Judges chapter two describes how Israel, instead of doing what God says, they just move into, into the promised land alongside the Canaanites and rather than driving them out the rest of the way, they think, do you know what? Halfway is good enough, and so they don't do the rest. And they adopt all of their cultures and religious practices, and they start to serve their false gods, just like, G- uh, just like God said that they, they would, right? And they stop worshiping God, and as a result, they become dark and confused. And, and so what happens is Israel rejects God and his protection, and, and as a result, their neighbors end up conquering them. And, and so Israel lives in kind of this state of being conquered for a while until they remember, hey, we used to do things a little bit differently, do you remember we came into this nation freed from, from Egypt, freed from slavery? God freed us. Our God freed us. Not these other gods we serve, but the God of Israel. Yahweh freed us. Uh, maybe if we, if we came back to him, he'd be faithful again. And so, so the nation turns back to God and they say, God, you need to deliver us. You need to do something. And so God rises, raises up a, a judge, a deliverer from amongst Israel who would bring the freedom. And the book of Judges tells us of six different ones. First, there's Othniel, then Ehud, then Deborah, then Gideon, then Jephthah, and then Samson. But eventually, Israel, even after being delivered by one of these judges, would forget God again. And, and, and instead, of, instead of going after God, they'd end up partnering with false gods, and, and the cycle would start again. And so the final section of the book of Judges just shows Israel as a whole kind of hitting rock bottom. The, the book is basically built as this, just this one big spiral downwards. Yeah, it's, it's cycles, but each cycle gets worse and worse and worse. Each judge is kind of more and more an example of what we are not meant to be. And so finally, it, it finishes with these two tragic stories structured around this key phrase that gets repeated four times at the close of the book. In those days, there was no king. In Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It ends with this question. Maybe a king would fix things. Maybe a king would, would help. And so what Isaiah does is, is he kind of picks up with the answer. Hey, we had a king for a while, and a king did not work. <laughs> Maybe a king will f- fix things. Got some chronicles going on, Isaiah comes in on the back end of that, and he's like, yeah, guess what? King wasn't any good either. We thought maybe a king would fix things, but a king didn't fix things. And so judge to judge, king to king, enslaving nation to enslaving nation. Every time Israel turns from God to something else, something less, they partner with false gods, gods they invent, gods they adopt from culture, gods that look just like them, gods made in their own image. And like Paul says in Romans, when people invent foolish ideas of what God is, their minds become dark and confused. And so this is the moment that Isaiah in 55 is written to. It's written to a people at the conclusion of this downward spiral, a people who have no kingdom, no king, no people, no hope. And to them, what does God say? He says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. See, they're in the worst possible situation, and God speaks to them about their thoughts, about their imagination. He encourages them there's a different way to see this. See, I think it's human nature to view our problems as merely circumstantial, yeah? Oh, this thing happened, but it's just going to come along, it's just come my way, this is a one-off problem, this is just, you know, it's, it's really messing my life up right now, but, but once I get through it, things are going to go back to normal and everything's going to be fine, which is not really the way that, that the world works. Isaiah reminds us that what we do and what we think, what happens to us in the way that we view the world are related, that every behavior in your life is tied to a belief that it's a, it's a cycle. And so often we try to fix our circumstances, but God says to the book of Isaiah, I wanna break the reoccurring cycle in your life. Whatever that bitter or negative thing is that's in your head, I wanna redeem and restore your imagination. See, science would tell us that when we behave, neurons in our brain establish pathways to understanding so that certain ways of thinking become ingrained like roads in our mind. And so our thoughts travel those roads more readily than others. Maybe you can recognize this in your life when something happens, your immediate thought that you don't even intend to think it, but your brain just jumps into a certain way of thinking. Maybe it's something that was spoken over you when when you were young or by by someone of significance or authority in your life and and something happens and you're straight into this way of seeing the world, this way of seeing yourself, this way of thinking about things. Something hard happens and you instantly jump into the kind of coping mechanism that you know is not a healthy way to cope, but it's an ingrained pattern of behavior, a road established in your mind that, that your brain just jumps on. See, maybe the primary thing that we need to change in our lives is in our circumstances and that's not to diminish whatever we're going through. But definitely the thing that we do have control over is what we're thinking, what's in our minds. And maybe that starts by realizing that God's thoughts and ways are higher than ours. So I'm, I'm not going long today, church. I want us to have a moment to, to be able to respond and, and unpack this. In fact, if I can get the, the band to come up and the host to start to, to hand out communion, if you're online, this is your, your chance to, to grab your tea and toast or cough lozenge or whatever it might be. But today, here's the takeaway, right? All of this can be distilled down to say this. I think our imaginations are a gift from God. There's something given to us by a good God. There is a good purpose behind them. But we live in a a broken world. And as a result, our imaginations can be more harm than help, more worries than dreams. And, And our imaginations, as a result, need redeeming. But but the good news I believe is we can change our level. Yeah, we, we don't have to stay at the way that we are currently thinking. There is a way to use our imagination that we have been gifted with by God's grace. We can have a gifted and graced imagination. But to do so, destructive cycles need to be stopped. And and to distill that whole second point, I know there was a bit of kind of theology and and, and Bible in it, but to distill it down, destructive cycles need to be stopped. We need to stop partnering with false gods. We need to embrace the reality that that, that we have the opportunity of how we think about God, of what we make God in our life. And, And when we think up foolish ideas of who God is, we end up becoming dark and confused. So how do we not do that? My third idea is, is quite simple. We need Jesus. I hope we never preach a message in church that asks you to do something without acknowledging that you are the help in doing it. That we have a Lord and a Savior who partners with us. So part of the reason I wanted to take communion today is in a response to this message, is to realise that that we are not on our own in what God calls us to do. See, Isaiah concludes after building the story of Israel, after giving all of the evidence that we need to break our destructive cycles, telling the story of of Israel. He concludes by talking about God's plan, by talking about how God God says that He will break the cycle by sending a figure who, who in Isaiah is called God's servant, a figure who will fulfill God's mission and, and do what Israel has failed to do, to bring blessing to the world. And that in coming and in bringing this blessing, he will be rejected, beaten, and ultimately killed, the suffering servant. And Isaiah speaks of how God's servant dies and dies on behalf of the sinner, of the people. The prophet says that the servant's death is a sacrifice of atonement, separating people from evil. And it's in this section of of how God will redeem the world, of God's hope, of God's future, that we find chapter 55. Isaiah 55 is God's invitation for us to be a part of his redemption because the destructive cycles have been interrupted by Jesus. Isaiah is speaking of an established reality that has not happened in time yet, but we know that Jesus came to interrupt our cycle of sin. We know that that Jesus came to to interrupt our following of false gods to the wrong places, to to redeem us, to relieve us from the the cycle of becoming dark and confused as a result. That because of Jesus, we can be new creations with clean hearts and transformed minds. Isaiah tells us that when we create space for God and listen, God causes us to grow and blossom and it, it feeds us. That as it says in Isaiah, God wants to replace the thorns in our lives with cypress trees, to replace nettles with, with myrtles. The imagery there is to replace those things that are difficult and prickly, those things that are painful and destructive with things that are strong and dependable. And Isaiah tells us that God's word does not return void. It comes like rain or snow. It falls on the just and the unjust alike. We don't earn it but that there is a God-inspired way to imagine, that, that we can change our level, that destructive cycles can be stopped, that we can learn from the book of Judges, that, that we can learn from the journey of the Israelites. That's why we have the Old Testament, that rather than turning from God, we can turn to Him. And that as Paul says in Romans 1:21, people become dark and confused because they make God in their image. They stopped worshiping Him and giving Him thanks. And so maybe the first step in redeeming your imagination today is by worshiping God and giving Him thanks. Reminding yourself that He loves you, that He's for you, that you don't have to change your level on your own, that you don't have to break the cycles on your own, but that you can look up. See, I wanted to finish today with communion because I think it's such a tangible reminder of the hope and the help that we have in Jesus. That you're not on your own. And so as the band leads us in this new song, Fall Afresh, which has been said is written from Psalm 23, can I encourage you to to take a moment for the first section of the song, maybe stay seated, but take a moment to, to reflect that because of Jesus, we have the empowering presence of God. That because of Jesus, we can take communion as a reminder of the reality of what Jesus has done for us. That we don't do this on our own. That as you take your cracker, you can remind yourself that God sustains you and you can thank Him for it. That as you take your cup, you can remind yourself that He redeems us and you can thank Him for it. That as we sing the song or, or in the first moment as you reflect and the song is sung over you, that we would partner with what God is doing in us, that we would realize that we have imaginations gifted to us from God and that they can be used in a way graced by God. But that might mean that they need redeeming, not just in this moment, but daily, hourly, minute by minute. God, is this thought from you, is there a different way of seeing this? God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing, what you've done, what you're going to do. God, I worship you. I refuse to make you in my image. Would I be made to look more like you? As we do it, we are transformed. We are renewed. Church, just as you bow your heads and close your eyes, I'd love to pray for this communion. The band's going to lead us in this song. I encourage you to take the cup and the cracker in your own time as you reflect on what Jesus has done, is doing and will do in and through you god we come here together as your people in this room online however we might gather together we thank you for what you've done that you would come for us god that you are not like those false gods who demand child sacrifice who who seek us to to appease you and giving what you have not asked but you are a god who comes to us and gives us all we need God, thank you that in response, we can give it all back to you, not earning your love, but trusting you as the safest place. Today, as we take communion, would you transform something in us? Would we be reminded of who you are? God, even in this moment, we speak to anxiousness, to worries, to misappropriated imaginations in which a gift we have been given is running amuck in our life, sowing chaos. God, we ask that our imaginations would come back in line. God, we, we don't, we don't down ourselves for, for worrying. We, we don't seek to make ourselves feel ashamed or guilty for that. We know we live in a world that is in the process of being made right, but we know that there is also other ways to be. And so we ask that, that we would see those worries for what they are and we would ask the question, is there a different way, a God-breathed way to see this? God, would we be your people, anointed with your oil. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.